beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. October the 31st, that's tomorrow, is a special day. And I'm not talking about Halloween. Years ago, October the 31st, marked the beginning of what is called the Protestant Reformation. That was in the year 1517. At that time, Martin Luther, a German monk, nailed a list of 95 discussion points to the door of the chapel in Wittenberg, Germany. The discussion spread far beyond Wittenberg. In God's providence, the time was ripe for a reformation of the Roman Catholic Church. In the years that followed, various reformers arose, focusing renewed attention on the teachings of Scripture concerning five key points. And those points have become known as the five solas of the Reformation. And that's a reference to five Latin slogans. Those brief sayings summarize important differences between Roman Catholic doctrine and what the Reformers brought forward. Here they are. Sola Scriptura, meaning Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, meaning grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. And Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. The Reformers didn't come up with these truths on their own. These teachings can be found throughout Scripture. And they're, they're also reflected in Romans 6, the passage we just read. Now let's focus on what that involves, paying special attention to those verses 11 through 14. And so we come to the theme for this morning, and that is, we live for God by faith in Christ Jesus. And this good news is, first of all, encouraging. Secondly, it's challenging. So we live for God by faith in Christ Jesus. This good news is, first of all, encouraging, and secondly, challenging. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul has been emphasizing basic doctrines of salvation. In chapter 5, verse 1, he refers to us having been justified by faith. And there you have the sola fide theme that the Reformers highlighted. By faith, we are declared righteous before God. That's what justification by faith is about that we are declared righteous, declared just or righteous. And as a result, we may live at peace with him, not on account of any works we do, but only through our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there you have the solus Christus theme. Paul knew that this radical doctrine would raise questions in the minds of his readers. Is salvation really by grace alone? 
If so, doesn't matter how we live. Where do our works come in? Does God's grace mean we can continue in sin, leading the grace to increase even more? Paul raises that question in Romans 6, verse 1. He then goes on to describe how all-encompassing God's grace is. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we not only receive the gift of justification by faith, by God's grace, we come to life spiritually and are enabled to live for God. So to answer the question, no, we shouldn't continue in sin. But we shouldn't give ourselves the credit for obedience to God either. Any obedience is also by grace alone. Sola gratia. When you see shortcomings in your daily life, what is your attitude to them? Do you think no one is perfect and leave it at that? It's of course true that in this life, total perfection is an unattainable goal. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches us to confess that in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience, namely the obedience that God requires of us. Scripture teaches us that we fall short, and we see evidence of that in our lives. We have every reason to stay humble as Christians. Until the day of our death, there will always be much room for improvement. And nevertheless, the small beginning of this obedience is very important. The promised Messiah, whom we know as Christ Jesus, our Savior, brings about obedience in us through his Spirit and Word. It should therefore also be our personal goal to cultivate our connection with him. And then the fruit of his death and resurrection will become visible in our lives. By faith, we are united with Christ Jesus. And as a result, we begin to live for God. We learn to repent, turning away from sin and turning to God, obeying his will for our lives. And does leading the Christian life sometimes feel like walking up a steep, slippery hill? You take one step forward and you sometimes feel as if the next moment you've slid back two steps. Does this make you feel like giving up? Don't give up thinking, oh, there's always forgiveness anyway. That's not the way to go. What we need in our struggles is a different mindset, a mind that focuses on Jesus Christ. Take encouragement from knowing what his work for us involves. Because of his work for us, by suffering and finally dying for us on the cross, we receive the gift of forgiveness. By grace, our relationship with God is restored. We may now live in fellowship with God. But 
That's not where salvation stops. Take encouragement from knowing what Christ's work in us involves. In connection with this, Paul speaks about our sanctification, the renewal of our lives. This is a process of transformation that involves our minds, hearts, and wills. It comes about through our bond with Jesus Christ. And Paul wants to make sure that we understand this properly. And to illustrate what he's getting at, he refers to the sacrament of baptism. And don't just think of the ritual, which involves the use of water. It functions as a sign and seal of the promise of the gospel of salvation. Now, what is promised becomes a reality for us through faith in our Savior. And what are the spiritual realities to which baptism points? Baptism points to the benefits of being united with Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism summarizes this in Lord's Day 26, question and answer 70, as being washed with Christ's blood and spirit. To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. In a footnote to this summary of what baptism means, there's a a direct reference to Romans 6, verse 4. There the apostle writes, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In short, when we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we benefit from his death and resurrection. And this has consequences for our daily lives. Our baptism links Christ's death to the crucifixion of our old nature. And similarly, our baptism links his resurrection to the new life that we have in Christ. Now we can and should live for God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as followers, we are no longer doomed to live as slaves of sin anymore. <clears throat> and this is encouraging news. Let it comfort you, brothers and sisters. Let it comfort you in your struggles against sin. Think of the deeply personal confession in Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism concerning the work of Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. That leads to our justification by faith. But remember also what our Catechism says further about the work of Jesus Christ. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. That refers to his work of sanctification in our lives. 
And how is this possible? After having successfully resisted the power of sin throughout his life on earth, Christ died on the cross to atone for our sins. He then arose triumphant from the grave. As our resurrected Savior, he now lives to God. Romans 6 verse 10. Everything that he does is to the glory of God. And how does that benefit us? Paul explains in verse 11 of our text, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Believe that what happened to our Savior affects you in a very direct way. The death of Jesus Christ is linked to the death of our old nature. And the resurrection of our Lord is linked to the coming to life of our new nature. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the word translated as consider shows that this is not a matter of speculation. The Greek verb is also used to point to the mathematical process of reckoning or calculating. In our text, Paul is essentially saying, we must take this into account. We have a living Savior. And through the Holy Spirit, he has linked himself to us. And as a result, we believe in Jesus Christ and are now able to live for God. And being spiritually alive to God is not an illusion. We can literally count on it as being true as we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because of our union with Jesus Christ, we are now spiritually alive and therefore able to live for God. This is the basis of for Paul's words of encouragement. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you may trust that sin will not have the last word in your life. As Paul puts it in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. He's not saying you are now able to lead a sinless life. What he is saying is that sin will not automatically have the victory anymore. Our living Savior equips us by the Holy Spirit to live for God. And what a perspective these encouraging words give in our struggle against sin. You might see darkness around you now, but look ahead of you. Don't you see light at the end of the tunnel? Christ has paid the price to release you from the bonds of sin. And this means you are under grace. And this is why you should never give up in your struggles against your weaknesses and sins. Live in the realization that by the grace of God, sin won't have the last word in your life. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, the final victory is assured. Not in your strength, but in his. And let your union with Jesus Christ influence your attitude towards sin in this life. 
If you fall into sin, don't conclude, see, there's no point in me trying to live differently. That's not the Christian way of addressing a problem. It's time to change your attitude if this is the way you look at your sins. Such thoughts deprive you of any motivation to repent. Instead of relying on the grace of God as you struggle against your sins, you then give up and give in to them. Your struggles against sin may now be very difficult. But remember that the final victory is assured through Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, you are one with him in his death and his resurrection. And this means that new life is already yours. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And those encouraging words are not meant to lead us to relax in the struggle against sin. Don't think, oh, if my sins are forgiven and the final victory is assured through Christ, it doesn't matter how I live now. Learn how to apply the doctrine of salvation to your life. The doctrine of salvation through Jesus Christ isn't meant as a sedative. It's not meant to to leave you passive and unchanged. People who are alive to God in Christ Jesus don't live like people who are still dead in their sins. What are the signs that we are spiritually alive? First of all, if you are alive to God in Christ, you will not want to live in sin. Your deepest desire will be to live for God. And this desire leads to the next step, to struggle against sin. And that's the challenge that Paul brings forward in our text. And let's focus on that in our second point. Paul is challenging us to live for God by faith in Christ Jesus. And this new life involves a struggle in which you will make progress. Why? Because you are not in it alone. You have our arisen Savior on your side to strengthen you. And you have a bond with Christ together with fellow believers. With God as the source of your strength and with the support of the communion of saints, you may be assured of the final victory. Just think of the words of Psalm 84. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. We may exclaim as the psalmist does, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We know of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we can sing the words of Psalm 84 with even more conviction than believers in Old Testament times. We can sing these triumphant words, mindful of the encouragement given in our text. No one who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be disappointed. Be assured of future glory in the heavenly Jerusalem. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, rejoice in the forgiveness of your sins. But there is more to be thankful for. You may be sure that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is at work in you. Otherwise, you would never have come to faith in the first place. And you wouldn't have a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works either. Now, the grace of God through Jesus Christ calls us to action. And this grace forms the background for the word therefore in verse 12 of our text. It introduces an important conclusion based on the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. By faith, we are united to a life-giving Savior. And that's why the apostle calls us to struggle against sin. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What a picture Paul gives of our obligation. He portrays sin in terms of a person. Christ is your master, but sin will still try to reign in your body. To govern you. And Paul speaks of it as your mortal body. And this is a, a description of the weakness of your body. It has been affected by man's fall into sin. It will one day die. If you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as your master, you have every reason to struggle against sin. And this is a struggle which will last throughout your life. There will never be a time when you can let down your guard. The admonition of our text remains in effect at all times. As long as our bodies have not yet died or been glorified, we are very vulnerable. Our bodies can be used to satisfy a multitude of passions or sinful desires that lead to condemnation. Sin tries to use these sinful desires against us. And they can surface in our lives in a variety of ways. What are your weaknesses? Do you struggle with certain sexual desires? Is your struggle against an addiction to cigarettes, drugs, or alcohol? Or do you run the danger of relying on material riches instead of on God for your happiness? Some people are tempted by the desire for status or fame and will do anything for that. Others are very susceptible to peer pressure. They easily give in to what family members or friends tell them, even if it's wrong. We don't need to go into detail listing more examples. It's enough if you establish what your weak points are. What do you do when you feel tempted to sin? Are you taking stock of your situation? Are you examining yourself and your circumstances? 
Where are your temptations coming from? For example, are you being selective enough concerning the books or magazines you read? Or the TV programs or videos you watch? Don't they often focus on riches, fame, or sex? They can feed fantasies in your mind that lead you to sin. Who do you spend time with? Scripture warns us against the influence that bad friends can have. Young people can be especially sensitive to peer pressure, the pressure of those around them of the same age. But even when you get older, be careful. Are certain people influencing you in a negative way? What do you fill your spare time with? Do you find temptations during such times stronger than otherwise? What are the causes and what can you do about them? If you don't examine your life to see where temptations come from, it will be very difficult to resist them. You may find yourself obeying them as if they are commands. And then you're letting sin reign in your life. You're letting sin govern whatever you do. Sin wants to reign in your body. The Apostle Paul warns us in verse 12 of our text not to let that happen. In other words, he's acknowledging that sin, is, that sin still is there in our lives. It's capable of arousing evil desires in our mortal bodies. And we therefore need to devise strategies to keep this from happening. And do you hear the gospel in the command not to let sin reign in your mortal body? Paul is telling you that giving in to sin is not inevitable. You don't have to let sin take the lead, causing you to give in to one desire after another. By grace, you are now capable of exercising self-denial as a Christian. You belong to Jesus Christ. He is your Savior and your Lord. Depend on Him for salvation. And be glad for the challenge not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, brothers and sisters. This challenge is based on the good news of redemption by Jesus Christ. Trust in him to guide you. Pray for strength. And God gives us strength and guidance through his word. Learn from him how to resist sin and how to do his will. Show your dependence on him by listening to him. Listen to him together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Encourage each other with the scriptures. We're not alone in our struggles. We have the communion of saints. Come alongside each other, helping each other where you can to remain faithful, persevering in the faith together. 
And the admonition not to offer the members of our bodies to sin concerns our entire existence. Never separate your body from your spirit. They work together. Your vices, your weaknesses, a bad temper, a self-centered nature, your evil inclinations, all such things will be expressed through your body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, says Paul in the next verse. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Christians don't always understand how important this warning is. Have you ever heard the slogan, let go and let God? And such a statement can be interpreted in various ways. One wrong application would be that you don't need to struggle against sin, but just wait passively until God changes you. Our text teaches us that sanctification, the renewal of our lives, doesn't take place automatically. It involves effort on our part. Struggle to live according to the will of God. Otherwise, the good news of Jesus Christ won't bear much fruit in your life. So don't think that you're already doing fine as a Christian if you go to church regularly, contribute financially, and participate in church-related activities. Of course, it's important to do this. This shows that you are a living and not just a dead member of the church. But there's more to being a Christian than just this. How are things in your day-to-day life? Are you really trying to follow the path of faith and repentance? Are you striving to resist the many temptations that come into your life? Christ Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He has also set us free from all the power of the devil. Jesus Christ, and not the devil or sin, is therefore our Lord. Whom will you now obey? And we've already taken note of what we should not be doing. Don't surrender any part of your body to the power of sin. Think of your eyes, your mouth, your hands, or your feet. But the Apostle Paul also speaks positively about our obligation as Christians. Look at the second part of verse 13 of our text. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present yourselves to God. The admonition is direct. And personal, it's addressed to you. If you do not present yourself to God, you will inevitably use the parts of your body for sin. Then they function as instruments for unrighteousness instead of instruments for righteousness. And Paul addresses us, In verse 13, as those who have been brought from death to life. If left to ourselves, we would be dead in our sins. There's no true spiritual life 
where God does not show his grace through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has paid the price to redeem us from the power of sin and death. And be thankful for this salvation. He equips you to dedicate your life to serving God. And living God is the opposite of living in sin. It involves conscious choices. Either you let sin reign in your body, or you present yourself to God. And that involves surrendering your entire self to him. Don't hold anything back. Otherwise, your life will still be in the service of sin. There's no neutral terrain in life. There's no terrain that we can reserve for ourselves instead of for God. Everywhere, choices need to be made. Not choosing for God means choosing to sin. But if you offer yourself to him, you're on the path of life. And see that as something joyful, not as a burden. The closing words of our text about sin not being our master have significance for our lives now. Why can we be sure that sin will not have the last say in our lives? Because of what our present status is before God. Listen carefully to the words of Romans 6 verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. How encouraging those words are. We are no longer under law. People who are under law must depend on their own obedience and their own achievements for salvation. The law comes with its demands and warns that there is condemnation for those who are disobedient. And Paul reminds us of this in Galatians 3 verse 10. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And that's a reference to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. The law teaches us to understand what sin is. Our sinful nature is such that when we become aware of the limits that the law of God places on our behavior, the urge to go beyond those limits can become very strong. This is not the fault of the law. The law is holy. Paul writes about that in Romans 7. The law is holy, exposing our sins and sinful nature. And that's why Paul says in Romans 7, the verses 7 to 8, what, shall, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. If we would be under law instead of under grace, our position would be quite hopeless. There would only be an increasing amount of sin and guilt. The law can't liberate someone from slavery to sin. It simply brings that slavery to light and leads to the verdict of 
condemnation. It's therefore useless to expect true change in someone's life by exposing them only to the law and not to the gospel. We're not under law, but under grace. And because of the grace of Jesus Christ, changes take place in our lives. We believe in him as our only Savior. He enables us to live to praise and glorify God, guided by his word and spirit. To live to praise and glorify God. That's the purpose of our existence. And these gifts become ours, sola fide, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And beloved, when we understand and apply this in our lives, we will have a joyful perspective in life. Presenting ourselves to God and the members of our body to him as instruments for righteousness, we will also bear fruit, much fruit. Now we still experience all sorts of difficulties in serving God. There are still many weaknesses and sins. But Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And trusting in Him, we may see signs of His work in our lives. And we may look forward to the final victory over sin and death and live with our God forever. By grace alone, to God alone be the glory. Amen.